Aloha everyone, my name is Christina Laney Mutri. Welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, smart health and fitness, and then also smart business. So today our podcast is sponsored by Holu Energy. Thank you very much. And we will also be discussing the future of solar and how it incorporates within a smart home. So going down the line, I'm going to introduce each of you. And we have here Brad Hansen, serves as the CEO and President and Director of InSync Energy Systems. We also have Brian Bowers here. He's the President of Bowers and Kubota. So this is actually his garage. And officially, is this your system? Yes, it is. All right. My system wants to install. And last but not least, we have Ted Peck. He's the President of Holu Energy. So thank you guys so much for having me host you guys on this podcast, and let's get started. So really what we're going to talk about today is solar, and for some of the newbies to solar wanting to learn a little bit more, Ted, can you just walk us through solar PV, the systems in in general? Sure. In, in In a simple thought, you know, the panels generate, you know, the light comes on it and it, and it generates a voltage. And that voltage, you know, you'll, you pile them together with a wire, you get current. And that's a direct current, like a battery, like, a, you know, a, a AA battery like you have over there. Um, and that varies, that voltage and that current varies by how much sun is hitting that panel. And then you have to have a box called an inverter, you know, because in, in the plugs, the outlets of the house, you have uh, alternating current, right? Not direct current. And so the inverter in, is simply converts that power from DC, direct current, to alternating current so that it can go uh, onto your electrical system and onto the grid. And it joins in as a generator, um, the inverter does, with the utilities grid form. They have their 60 hertz that sometimes varies down to 59.7 59.7 or 60.3 or even a little wider than that, whatever. And the inverter follows that. That's a simple what a system does. Now, we have moved into just layers of complexity and now how that inverter interfaces with the utility and now how that inverter doesn't need the utility. You know, if the grid goes down, the inverter can, uh, depending on the, the manufacturer and the design and so forth, can what they call island. It can basically power the house without having utility power. And all those are functions of um, today's inverters or smart inverters. Okay. That makes sense? And then, well, moving from there, now that you understand the concept of what PV and solar is, um, a lot of people start in Hawaii, you know, because we get sun year-round, we're looking at well, what does it take to get one on your roof, you know, and what do you have to do? So there's, besides everything that you look at, the one, two factors I think people look at is, are you going to lease one or are you going to purchase one, like an actual system, right? So can you just elaborate on, I guess, the pros and cons of, of this? Well, um, purchasing it in to, with today's tax credits means that if you owe the state or the federal government taxes, then you can take those credits against your tax liability. And so uh, for the federal government, if you own a personal system, 
you can take 30% of a tax credit of the, the cost of that system as a credit. So if you pay $30,000 for a system, you can take $9,000 of money you'd pay for taxes and put it in your pocket as a return on investment for your $30,000 system. Okay. okay. And the state, it's a 35% credit, but for residential systems, that 35% is capped at $5,000. So pretty much $5,000. $5,000 typically, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But still, on a $30,000 system, you get about half of that back in, in, in tax credits. Yeah, on that year. So then, in addition to that, what other, I guess, why would someone lease, I guess? Well, the advantage of a lease is that you um, you have no money no money out of pocket at the beginning. Um, somebody else is taking those credits. You could go and get debt, which is different than a lease. In a lease, someone else owns the system and takes credits and depreciates that system. Yeah, so they end up with with the credits and you don't get them. That's true, but it may be harder for you to take those credits. Your tax situation may be different. Correct. And you may be uncomfortable owning the system. And if somebody leases it, they're responsible for maintaining it. And so there's, there's pros and cons both ways. Okay. You know, it just depends on your individual financial situation and, um, you know, what, uh, what you're comfortable with doing on a risk basis. Okay. And then also, I think a lot of people are wondering, too, when you do get a system and when you're dealing with the grid um, and, the, you know, it's, if you, what if you make more than what you actually use? Where does it go? So um, the utility, uh, if you're not going to export to the grid, then you just connect up to their frequency and voltage. You consume your old power. You store what's produced above what your house is, is you know, load Amazing. is. And that's pretty simple. If you are going to export to the grid, that's when you start going into the utility, look and see if they have the capacity to take that power that you put on the grid and what tariff or what rate they'll pay you for that. The, the tariff that's open today is called CGS Plus, and you get compensated about 10 cents for every kilowatt you export, <clears throat> whereas you're paying almost 30 cents for every, um, if you export it to them, they, they pay you 10, and then if you take it back at night, you, you pay 30, so it's costing you, you know, you're getting a discount, but you're, you're still paying for it. So um, there's really an analysis that you should go through as to what makes sense from an economic standpoint. You know, is storage worth me not doing CGS Plus and just storing it myself? And really, we're kind of at that break point. Plus, with storage, you get a lot more capabilities, you get resilience, there's just a lot of value that comes above that pure cost per kilowatt hour. Yeah, and in fact, one of the reasons that, that uh, my wife and I are looking at the system is because of the other, other benefits of that. Basically, being off the grid in the case of a uh, power failure. Correct. And you're basically, um, you know, you have a, your own generator. Yeah, uh, pretty For, much. you know, critical loads, whatever everybody else would be, either have to have a generator or be without power. So that's a, that's, that was one of the deciding factors on why we are looking at this particular system okay. with a battery. Brad should talk about why that whole idea of energy independence, how the matrix, the uh, NSYNC smart home system is designed for that. Yeah, so now that we have a little bit of a better idea of solar, 
and how it works. And now we're seeing the need for a storage system for the power. Um, I would like to dive into what NSYNC Energy Systems has created and why this is really on the tipping point of like above everybody. I mean, when you start looking into this, I've gone to you know, a solar expo that was here recently. Um, and there are systems out there that do store um, the power that comes off of your PV and you know, they can store it for you. But, um, and then there's also some that are right up above where they're actually storing and then they can monitor um, you know, the power going in now. But could you elaborate a little bit more on what your system is and how it's even smarter than that? Sure. <laughs> Well, there were a few really guiding principles for developing the product. Uh, first of all, safety. Right? It's in people's garages or on the side of their houses. So we chose a battery chemistry that is not typical for EV cars, which is everybody else's battery chemistries are, are typically from EV cars. Those, those systems are really complex and have complex cooling systems and battery management systems. We chose a more thermally resilient, safe chemistry that you could be comfortable with putting that battery on your house mm -hmm. you know, and the conditions in, in a typical house. So that was number one, had to be safe. Number two was had to have enough power to run the whole house for the majority of the homes in the market. So the power level at nine kilowatts is double some of the other products that are out there. So if the power goes out, you can actually run your home in the manner that you're accustomed to. Right? You don't have to isolate critical loads and do a bunch of other work in the electrical panel. Um, Next, it's, it's modular, so you can actually add additional batteries. So this is a one battery, one power control system. Um, system. You can have up to three batteries for, for this system, so 27 kilowatt hours. So you can basically tailor every system to a specific home mm -hmm. and deliver to that home um, what they need. But we also went beyond just working on the supply side, the energy from the PV and the energy from the battery, into the home appliance demand. Mm -hmm. right? And that's what really makes it a smart product, is we can manage the appliance loads with the supply together to give you an optimized condition. So let's say... Um, you have an electric water heater, and that water heater turns on. You can sense that load hitting, and you could discharge your battery to fill that load rather than pull in grid electricity mm -hmm. if you don't have enough PV to support that load. So it, it all works together to basically save you the most money possible. What else can you connect to it besides? Um, so we have plans. We're starting with electric hot water heaters because they're very common in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. We can actually move the water heat to, let's say, 4 a.m. in the morning. So we can turn it on um, earlier in the day 
so that it's not, that electricity is not being used at the same time people are drying their hair and what have you. So we can manage that load profile um, in, you know, it's the customer can set that how they want. Yeah. Um, and we're also looking at EV chargers um, and, and being able to integrate those, HVAC, lighting systems. So a lot of the intelligent systems that are already like in Alexa the home. or something. Nest, yeah. you know, the Nest thermostat, those types of things. We want to be able to connect those into the supply to have them work together. The supply How many and the can demand. you connect to? It's all system. done through our software control platform, so it's not a hard uh, wire connection. Oh, okay. It's all through our software uh, control platform that goes through the home internet. Um, so it's really a, truly a smart home, and that's, that's what's new in the market is this capability to work both the supply side and the demand side in the home and have them be integrated together. It's really important in some areas that have complex rate structures. So in Hawaii, for example, the rate structure is fairly straightforward, but I'm from California originally, and the rate structures are very complicated. You can get summer Char demand charges of about 50 cents a kilowatt hour, so oh. really expensive electricity. So being able to minimize what you pull in from the grid, the grid yeah. can save you a real lot of money. Okay. And, and, and Brad, isn't it fair to say, because one of the other things that attracted me to, to your product, the InSync product, was the what you mentioned about the water heater. And kind of in layman's terms, the water heater almost becomes like another battery, right? It just yeah. becomes something else that you can store effectively energy in. Right, right. right. That's, right. that's the right way to look at it is that's a source of energy. It's heat, mm -hmm. right? And, and you're essentially moving that around to where it most fits your, your desire from an economic standpoint. Yeah. Right, so we'll probably, what we'll probably do is design them so that um, the first PV of the morning gets prioritized into the water heater. The water heater's turned on to use that power directly. And then at the end of the day, with the last bit of solar, we can top off the water heater so you have a full tank for whatever evening dishes and you know showers and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. so basically, you don't have to install a solar water system with collectors on the roof and moving mm -hmm. water to your roof. You can prioritize when that water heater turns on so it's getting power directly from the sun, from your solar system. So it is functionally serving the thing, same thing. Plus, it is a battery. Plus, it's part of the load that you can make available to the utility to help them manage their grid by mm -hmm. turning an on and off your water heater um, to serve uh, grid stability. Yeah, and another advantage, and I think this is, this is true, is that we'll be able to get a separate tax credit for the water heater. Right, because it's a separate water system. Right. Wow. Okay. Without having to install the, the separate solar panels that collect water and heat water. So, so there's, there's other economic incentives associated with that that ultimately helps the consumer. Wow. So when they have ones for pools and everything, they have, they have water, I mean, I guess. Federal doesn't allow you to use tax credits to heat pools, um, but nobody in Hawaii very few people in Hawaii heat their pools, but 
your a lot of people do have pools that have um, uh, pool pumps. Oh, okay. And so that load can also be served. And, you know, it's basically part of the whole home load. Oh, okay. So it could be served. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, another interesting, besides what it is that you guys have put together, um, other things that we like to cover in this podcast would be um, discussing some of, some of the innovative things that the solar industry, you know, besides your smart features, what is coming down the pike? You know, since you guys are in this, in this <clears throat> world and everything, it's always good to hear what you guys see coming down and what's, you know, what's new, innovative, besides this system that you see coming down? Well, I, th I think we're ahead of the market. NSYNC is ahead of the market. Um, but, you know, we, I don't think there's any uh, illusion about the market not coming along. People starting to integrate intelligence, more and more intelligence in the inverters. You know, the utility is acquiring, actually, um, via the earning connection. They're requiring you to have some um, features that automatically help the inverter respond to disruptions in the grid, um, which actually may reduce the amount of power you get from your solar. It may, in its design for interconnection, might um, curtail your PV in order to make the grid well on an instantaneous basis. Um, so you're really starting to see um, home generation systems with a level of sophistication that is is kind of new. You know, the level of sophistication NSYNC's baked into this is uh, really, you know, what what they did is they took a commercial product and they made it single phase and fitted it into a home product, which is a lot different than what a lot of people do. They take home products and, and then size them up in the commercial, you know. So the level, this brought a level of complexity and um, capability from the commercial side down into the home, which is really different. Yeah. Could you elaborate on, I know when I was working on the blog, you had also mentioned being able to take the power from here and also, I guess, have somewhere close by have sharing. the power, sharing the power. Yeah, that was, uh, that was something that um, Ted and I originally talked about, about about a year ago, a need in the market where... You know, if you look at multifamily properties, especially if they're rental properties, all of those have some vacancy rate, right? Maybe it's 10, 15 percent. Um, time of day absences. And, and not all the same units, right? Yeah, and dif the vacancy rates, yeah, it could be random through the property. Um, some of the smaller units have very low load. Some of these types of things make it really hard to put solar on those properties. Exactly. So what we came up with was the capability to essentially put a wire, we call it a DC link, but it's basically a wire that goes to the different units in the different um, homes, you know, or apartments. Um, and let's say you're over generating your solar in that unit because somebody's on vacation it's first going to fill the battery, and when the battery's full, it will go out to the DC link and can get picked up by anybody that's in that network using that, power. That doesn't have power. enough, right? Doesn't have enough generation. 
So why is this a big deal? It's really because the utilization of your solar goes way up. And right? it doesn't get wasted. Yeah, you're not I mean, sending it out to the grid. You're sending it to another unit in the network. And like Ted said, you only get paid 10 cents. Exactly. Um, so you'd like to, to use that on the property. Yeah. And so essentially what you're doing is all of the issues like vacancy rates and time of day absences, you're aggregating them up across the entire property. And they're much easier to, to deal with at that point, right? If, you're, yeah. if you have 300 units that you're aggregating, then you just size your system for 10% vacancy rate because yeah. that's what the property historically has or something. Well, like I mean, that. this just because I'm in the real estate industry, it just makes you think about, wow, you can put this on townhomes and they all have common, you know, there's a, your maintenance fees include right. all this electricity where you gotta run the lights at night and you gotta have, you know, powered all this for your common elements. So, I mean, if there was a system, maybe it's just even specific for the association I mean, that would probably it, offset a lot of costs. It, for the, it the does, and it's game-changing. It's a really game-changing capability. Nobody else can do this in the U.S. market at this point, and we have some IP around how that's done. Um, but it, it allows us to go put renewables on properties that you couldn't put renewables on before. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And there's a couple of constraints that, you know, utilities are concerned about, right, um, which we operate within. Uh, utilities, you know, by, back by law, you know, if you sell to the general public, you're a utility. Well, in these arrangements, it's uh, two counterparties. You're selling to an apartment owner, you know, apartment complex owner who's delivering it to their tenants, or you're selling to an association mm -hmm. who is delivering it to their members, right? So it's two counterparties. Um, we don't take in utility power uh, behind one meter and then deliver it to another meter. It's all on-site generation that's moved around, not utility power. And those are probably the two biggest concerns that the utility's going to be watchful for. You know, and so we want to obviously be legal and, re and be respectful. Um, but as Brad says, this, it, what it does is it reduces the cost of renewable, on-site renewable for those multifamily or for those apartment buildings, what what they call multi-unit dwellings, you know, MUDs, that yeah. well, uh, makes now it affordable. We have every, you know, people can do ADUs now, so it's even more so where I could see there at least being two entities on one property where this would be very advantageous. Yeah, sure. and th there's states like California that have zero net energy initiatives, so like in, in California, starting 2020, every new construction unit has to have zero net energy. So you have to put solar on every, every structure. And there's problems doing that depending on what the load of that structure is. So this well, unless is- you have a system like this. This is a way to, <laughs> it's a way to really make that work. Yeah, exactly. So. Now that you're talking about what other states are doing, um, I do see Hawaii, you know, moving in that direction as well. I know that we have our 2050 Sustainable Initiative. 
I know that many people are unaware of it or have no idea that there's still stuff behind the scenes going on. But the government is on board and they are doing a lot for it. Um, My goal for Smart Living Hawaii is to really help and advocate and make awareness about what the government is doing, what big companies are, you know, investing in and doing for the greater good for Hawaii. Um, So I can see coming down the pike, government, um, things like you're mentioning, where you have to build that way. Or um, even the governmental building on affordable housing will have to be built that way. You know, LEED certified um, will become more closer to the platinum level versus what they're doing today. Because, um, well, for, for one, there's actually a lot of government funding for it. Um, you know, federal-wise, but in addition, we're, we are a little behind. We need to pick up and get closer to what everybody else is doing. And, you know, this system being here is amazing because we'll be able to use it, you know, when all of this starts happening. So, I mean, I appreciate, you know, all of this innovation and what's going on, um, and it's all going to tie together. I know we're kind of at that tipping point, you know, right. where I feel... Everybody's starting to get on board, and um, things are starting to be reasonable cost-wise for the general public. So I guess that's my next thing, is how reasonable is this for the general public? Um, For a system like this, how does it compare with what's out there? How does it compare with what, I guess, a regular household can afford? Yeah, I think just the basic structure of the system that it's modular, um, there's a range of what the system costs. It depends how many batteries, how many solar inputs you have to the system. Um, The system by itself is probably in about the $8,000 range to maybe mid $20,000 range, depending on how you configure it. But overall, it's about the middle of the market on pricing. Um, but like we've talked about, the capability level is is, is much higher. Okay. Um, so when you say the middle market, you're talking about a storage system. Right, right. Regardless of what their amenities or capabilities are, just mid-range pricing for a storage system. Um, but you get all of the benefits of what you guys offer. Yeah, right. just compared like KW, KWH of storage, we are right in the right in the mix. But in terms of the you know, overall capabilities, you know, feedback we've had, our observation, and the feedback we've had from the market, from what guys out there selling solar, their their attitude when we walk through the capabilities of the uh, smart homes energy system, is uh, wow that. Yeah, I, that's exciting. Yeah. Maybe said another way is rather than looking at price, and I think sometimes people look at price as the all-important factor, is you know, what's the best value? Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think that this system offers a lot of value you know, for the price, which I think a lot of that resonates with a lot of consumers. They want mm-hmm. to get the best value. They don't necessarily want the cheapest or the most expensive. They want something that's going to give them the greatest capability at a fair and reasonable price. We are now getting into the smart app that you guys are have created. And can you elaborate a little bit more on what it does and how it integrates? Sure, so the whole system is either controlled by your tablet or cell phone. Uh, and there's an, an app that you can use either 
either on your Android or your, your Apple device. Um, we're also um, working with the different protocols of the smart devices, so our product will actually link up with those. So whether it's smart lighting or EV chargers, you know, they, they typically all kind of unify, each type of device usually unifies on one type of protocol or a couple of protocols. So we're working with all of those so that on your smart device you can manage your lighting, you could manage your EV charger, you could set how you want your water heater to charge with that smart device. So we want to really be the energy hub yeah. for the entire home. Um, we're also going to be compatible with, with uh, the Apple Home, um, with Amazon and, and the Google Home platforms, so that if you want to talk to our devices, you can do that through those, those platforms. So it's really going to be that smart home where everybody, I feel, now is looking towards all of their technology being you know, controlled on your phone. And this usually talks about technology, but it doesn't always go back to the energy side of things. So to me, you know, which is right up our alley in Spartan Lincoln, Hawaii, it's really technology and the sustainable side, the eco side, the energy side. So that's what's going to make, to me, that's a game changer with what you guys are doing. And like, I definitely applaud you guys for that. So um, along with the stuff that you guys are doing, um, Ted, could you talk a little bit more about, I guess, the government side and what's happening here in Hawaii um, on energy? and maybe some of the things coming down the pikes, things that you're talking about Well, you about talked earlier. about the uh, 2050s sustainability, but one of the really driving things in the energy space is our 100% renewable by 2045. 45, yeah. Um, that is driving a lot of policy. It's driving the um, integrated grid plan that the utility's doing. It is uh, driving uh, and directing the legislature to make sure that those credits stay in place so that people are incented to build out those systems. It's driving the Public Utilities Commission to direct the utility to do procurements, uh, to procure utility scale renewables to meet those timelines. Uh, I think that this year you'll see a bill that will, you know, there's a flaw in our, it's called the Renewable Portfolio Standard that we're supposed to get to 100% of. Um, the problem and how it's calculated now, we gave the utility credit for systems built in homes, even though the utility's not installing them, they don't own them, they get credit for that renewable energy generated on the grid. But the denominator, so that's on the, the numerator, which total renewable generated. The denominator though, is just utility energy sold. So since they're not selling that power on the top, you could have over 100%. In fact, if, if we had a fully renewable grid, that number would be above 100%. So that, that calculation has to be fixed. Mm. Uh, and probably in, in, in the course of fixing that calculation, you'll see a natural acceleration of what the utility needs to get to. Um, last year, we were at 27% as a state, or actually the HECO companies were at 27% uh, renewable based on that formula. 
10% of that 27% was uh, energy generated on people's homes mm -hmm. or behind the meter, what they call distributed generation, it's another thing it's called. Fully over a third of the total renewable energy generated in the state, again, think of this, over a third is generated behind the meter. Uh, we will probably, I think the consensus, and I've seen the utilities say this as well, is that we're going to get to where that number goes from 10% to somewhere between 30 and 40%. And so the utility needs to build a grid that's resilient to get there. They've got a grid modernization plan to get there. Um, but equipment like this, which is smart and can island and has the ability to kind of drive its own thing and to help the grid. You know, it used to be that, the, that distributed generation weakened the grid. Those days are gone. Yeah. We have a lot of legacy stuff out there that's continuing to do that, but new stuff that's coming to the grid is all strengthening the grid. So you're going to see um, the amount of solar behind the meter triple or quadruple here over the next decade or so. And uh, I, was, I saw a graphic of uh, actual growth compared to projected growth, and it was all these projections the projection was like this, so the actual is like this. And so uh, we, not just the utility, but public policy people underestimate the rate of growth that's going to happen behind the meter. Yeah. Just market. And then I'm just curious because I don't know. I know Hawaii and obviously you get a lot of sun. What are some of the other states, I guess, that um, use solar like? like we use solar. I mean, I don't even know. So what other states are big? I think California states? is, California and Hawaii are really driving a lot of what's going on in the industry. Um, and in California, I think they're also, California is driving the move to storage as well, um, along with Hawaii. So I think I read a statistic that a, something like a third of the installs now at the residential level for solar also have storage. Mm -hmm. um, so it's- In a, California? In California. So a lot okay. of what's going on that's at the leading edge of this trend to renewables is coming from those two states. Then it starts to fan out to Arizona, and Nevada, and some of the other states in the West. The thing about California, like I mentioned earlier, is there's some there's some rate structure nuances where systems like this can really help you. Mm -hmm. Again, because the electricity can be very low if you're in a low rate tier. If you use a lot of electricity, you quickly go into a high rate tier and you can pay a lot of money for your electricity. So if you have a smart home energy system like this, then you can stay down in the lower rate tier. So do other states not really have such high numbers because they're getting their energy from? It's different state by state. So California and Hawaii have, and the Northeast have probably the highest base rates. But after the base rate, you get a whole lot of other surcharges and rate structure nuances that come into play, whether it's time of day rates or demand charges or, or things like that. What, what, why is it that we have such a high structure? Is it the state itself that that's, or where is, is it because of where the energy is coming from originally, like how energy is created or? 
Hawaii like why makes does... more electricity from oil than the rest of the U.S. combined. Mm -hmm. So we are pinned to a very expensive and volatile and cost resource. In the Northwest, they have a lot of rain. They have a lot of hydro. So the price of electricity is low. They don't have a great solar resource. So there's a lot of this, as Brad said, it does vary a lot by state. Yeah, it's, it's pretty local. Um, some states in the middle of the U.S. have a lot of wind energy. Really? Okay. Um, so it just depends where, where you're, you're located. at. Yeah. So we shouldn't really be getting so much from oil because we have a lot of sun. <laughs> that's right. So that's, I guess, I see that being an exponential growth when we, when we get to that place. So... I think I had one more um, thing that I wanted to ask about. It was the solar industry and how it works, I guess. Um, what I also saw when, we were, when I went to the solar um, expo and got to see a little bit about all the different um, companies and how they all interact and what part they are related to solar, whether it's a, the panels or whether it's the inverters or the systems. Um, I guess, how does it all work here and or solar, you know, the industry work? And so we have a better idea, I guess, Ted, you want to jump on that one? Well, you're talking about, you know, how do you take an approach? How, what different approaches have people taken to, to in the market? You know, yeah. uh, what what NSYNC did with us creating Holu is that we really wanted to have a local presence to be in the market and understand the market and develop opportunities in the market. That's what Holu does. And we partner with NSYNC for um, resources, for technology, for engineering. And then um, Holo and NSYNC partner with local installers, you know, engineering companies uh, to actually build the system. So we have a lot of partners that we team with in the market to put systems in place. And so a lot of what we see, the general public here in Hawaii, we're seeing the installers. Like when we see a solar company, we're seeing the people that actually put the systems on the roof. But they're not necessarily the people that are bringing the product, so, yeah. Right, and, and a lot of them, uh, you know, there's a, we don't have as many of these now because the market, as the tariffs have changed and the level of complexity with batteries have changed, you know, the days of two chucks in a truck are kind of gone. Yeah, because there was like so many yeah, back, I don't were, know, not that long ago, but now we're called so down there to- There was over 100. Yeah, and how many would you say are probably in the market today? I would say there's probably three dozen that are viable. You know, a lot of electrical shops just continue on the side to do solar when there's an opportunity. It's not really their major play, but they, mm. you know, they have a license and so they can install and they can buy stuff. And that's just kind of what, what they happened, do, but it's not their core. What happened to all the, so if there was like a hundred or so companies, and then there was all these leased ones or contracts or, you know, you have your 30-year warranty. Well, let's what talk about warranties. That? That's an important <laughs> thing to talk about because um, typically install warranties are one to two years, you know, for workmanship, maybe five. You know, there were some companies that were doing 10, but really you're going to start to see those workmanship issues show up in the first year or two, most, most of the time. And so you don't need a workmanship warranty 
for 30 so years. So you need more of the product. You need the OEM, the original manufacturer's warranty for the equipment. And a lot of times the installer, the way equipment manufacturers do it, they'll, they'll tie it to an installer and they basically make that installer the servicer for that warranty. But if you have a system on your roof and the installer's gone, you can contact the manufacturer and or contact them. There's a lot, actually. We I've seen a lot of new companies arise doing op maintenance. Mm -hmm. That's their business. That's all they do. Yeah, a number of companies, uh, actually, that were in the install business, they sold to somebody who's doing the maintenance mm -hmm. side. And so the market is definitely changing. It's a very dynamic market. But just because your manufacturer went away, I'm sorry, your installer went away, it doesn't mean that you don't have a warranty anymore. You okay. still have that equipment warranty. You just got to find somebody to service that warranty. And, and because it's warranty, that doesn't mean that the cost of somebody rolling a truck and going and working on that, that's not warranty. You have to pay for that. Okay. The equipment, if your stuff's broken and it's still under warranty, yeah, the manufacturer will replace it, but you got to pay somebody to put it To down. fix it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then um, what about the, could you explain a little bit more about the, I guess, the manufacturers, like, where does that, where does everything come from? Like, and who distributes it? I guess there's distributors too, right? So um, I guess you guys are more of the manufacturer of this product, right? And right, we have we have supply chain partners. We don't we design everything. Mm -hmm. We don't manufacture it. Oh, okay. We we source it from manufacturing partners. Most everything that's used in the U.S. market comes from either Korea or China. That's that's the reality. Some things come from Mexico, but most of it comes from Korea or China. Um, for just about everybody. Yeah, and so if somebody wants one of the, these systems, like what, who do they, who are they talking to? Or are you the person, you're gonna sell it, or are you gonna work with installers and specific they could, they could, uh, distributors? They installers who will install it, they could talk to us, and we'll make it happen. Those are principally the two things you could do. If you have an installer you trust and you say, hey, I want you to look at installing that for me, they can do that. Or you can work with us and then we'll, um, we'll find an installer or work with you to find an installer. And we're probably going to have the ability to install it um, ourselves. Uh, there's a number of pathways that we're going to pursue in getting stuff on people's walls and on people's roofs. So this one right here, where we're at right now, is actually the first one that's being installed. Is that in correct? Hawaii. In Hawaii. Hawaii. And... Um, when do we see this becoming a product for Hawaii in general, I guess? Um, in the March, April timeframe, we expect to- 2019? Right. To okay. start shipping in, in high volume um, to Hawaii, California, other locations. And where are you guys located? Our headquarters is in uh, Wisconsin, just outside of Milwaukee. Okay. So you came all the way to Hawaii to I come did. speak on this podcast in Hawaii. That's Thank right. you. It's, it's easier. All the way to Brian's garage. It's, it, it's easier it's to get me here in December than other this times of the true. year. We, we already have orders for over 500 of these that we're installing next year in Hawaii. Brian's is going to be the first that we install. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. We have a pretty steep ramp that, that we're going to be doing. 
Well, congrats, and I'm really excited to see how this takes off. And I, I honestly think that this is going to be even much more than just a residential home. Like I see it being really with a lot of the apartment complexes, you know, those type of products too. So you gotta have to keep making. You're gonna. I hope you're not gonna be like a Tesla where we can't get a hold of these. You gotta support us in Hawaii. <laughs> That's why we're here. So we we're, we're we love Hawaii. Yeah, we're we're we really the reason why Holu's here is to be a part of what's going on local and to be Ensing's presence here. You know, we definitely have a stake uh, in who Hawaii is and where Hawaii is going. Yeah, and I I think that's a big thing with the solar industry. I do see that. I do see a lot of companies. They are you know, boots to the ground here in Hawaii, or they're coming here. Um, and a lot of times the distributors, the people that are actually doing everything, it's like, here is the place to to be, obviously, because of the weather. And I think the potential growth, too, of where you can see. So um, we are fortunate that you guys are here. And thank you again so much for having me host this podcast. And thank you. Thank you again. And um, anyhow, this is the closure to our day, and I guess live smart. Smart living Hawaii. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>